Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads Land Grant Holy Lands College Basketball Podcast. My name is Connor Lamonts and I'm here with Justin Golba for episode 53 of Land Grant Holy Lands College Basketball Podcast. As the Maui Invitational is now only a few hours away and we are smack in the middle of Feast Week now, Justin. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Feast Week is one of the best weeks for sports in on the year. You got college basketball, you got college football. Like, I mean, this week in general, U.S. men's national team plays Wales and England Monday and Friday. You got Maui Invite plus all the other Feast Week stuff. You got Ohio State, Michigan on Saturday plus other great games. You got Thanksgiving football. Like, you can, like if you're a sports fan, this week is a good one. Severely, severely slept on sports. Severely. I mean, we've already had UCLA, Baylor. We've already had um, your your Virginia Cavaliers um, beating Illinois. Just to get there, we had Illinois and UCLA was unbelievable. Like we've had so many ranked on ranked games this week, and ignorant people will just be like, "Football's on?" Question mark Just so they can watch like the Falcons play the Saints, who are yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I said all that, and I basically like the last thing I said was Thanksgiving football because like I don't really care about the Bills and the Lions, but like I'll watch it. But I'm also one of those people. I will watch Thanksgiving college hoops over Thanksgiving football. I, that's not. I don't know. That's a hot take. But I you eat your Thanksgiving dinner, then you go. You got to go get horizontal somewhere in the living room so you can watch the Lions play. Yeah, that's what you always do on Thanksgiving. Um, anyway, so we have we have one Ohio State game that's happened since the last time we recorded, which was the Eastern Illinois game. Um, the first game that Ohio State's really faced any kind of adversity at all. Um, they played like shit in the first half. You don't have to sugarcoat it. They were up like 26 to 20 at halftime. It's been a couple days now, but they were only up six at halftime to Ken Palm's number 354 team in the country. They ended up winning, uh, ended up winning by 26. So the final score, um, still was a blowout. They didn't cover, but Justin, they just they struggled more in this game than they had in either of the first two games against arguably the worst team that they've played since Chris Holtman took over, other than IUPUI. Yeah, it's a little funny when I see people talk about the over and the under or the spread or whatever when it comes to these kinds of games because it's like, you know, like at the end, the last 10 minutes are going to be like walk-ons. Like, I don't know how you can really truly predict what the final score is going to be. Um, that being said... Yeah, they struggled. I mean, there's no – I love the word adversity because, like, I want to think of adversity. I think of, like, injuries or, you know, some things that you can't really control. They just kind of sucked um, for a better half of this game. They just didn't hit their shots. I, it wasn't bad shots. I think a lot of people said they were settling for threes, and they were, but they were open. I mean, if you're going to take shots, take them, you know. I, I'm not – I am i don't know if this is a great shooting team. Uh, so far, they haven't been a great shooting team, but, you know, I we'll see. 
that's a little Sean McNeil's kind of just been there so far. He hasn't really been overly aggressive. He's kind of just taken what people have given him. I think we're going to need to see him be a little more aggressive on offense in Maui. And I think we will see him be a little more aggressive on offense in Maui. Um, and yeah, they just struggled. It was never like they were going to lose the game. Eastern Illinois is horrible. I mean, that offense is brutal to watch. They have one good player. I forget his name. Uh, he's their leading scorer. Other than that, they are like, that was tough to watch. Um, so there was not like they were ever in danger of losing the game, but yeah, I, I think it's good. They went through this. I think you have to learn. I think Adam Jardy kind of hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, it, there's a lot of good players, but early on when they kind of, when they need a bucket or when they kind of feel like they need someone to go to, they're kind of just looking around at this point. I don't think they truly know who that person is. It's starting to become Bryce Sensabaugh, uh, Cause he kind of did that in the second half. It seemed like he, he got them going a little bit, but, um, you know, just assuming obviously struggled. I don't think we'll see another game. Like all of the bad things just kind of happen in one game. We're not going to see just assuming struggle like that again. You know, uh, ice likely had a couple turnovers. Bruce Thornton looked a little uncomfortable. I'm curious to see if they keep Thornton and likely in the starting lineup together. I think that's going to change. I think we're going to see Senzabal enter for Bruce and have Bruce kind of be maybe likely his backup point guard for a little bit, just to see that dynamic. Um, because I do think there's sometimes Thornton and ice are maybe kind of just running into each other out there. Um, I don't know. They're, they're still learning out some stuff. I mean, Kalen Etzler entered this game in the first half. You're not going to see that in the Maui invitational he's, they're still just trying to work through some lineups and, and really see what they have. So I, I mean, he's, I don't really take much away from it. They just struggle shooting the ball. You know, that's all it is. They still won the game by 22 points. So after, after five minutes, the score was like, it was like four to nothing. I was like, I cannot recall an uglier game um, since he since he became the coach of this team. I mean, you scored sixty five total points, um, sixty five total points against the number three hundred fifty four team in the country. That is not good. But holding your opponent to twenty five percent shooting overall and forty three points in a forty minute basketball game, that is good. How much of that is a product of playing a bad team? How much of that is that you are actually an improved defensive team? I don't know, but I think I walked away a lot more concerned than some other people did. Like you mentioned, Jardy, um, he does a very good podcast. He covers, he, he's in Maui right now, if that tells you anything. Um, he did not seem super, super concerned about that compared to me. Um, I just don't like seeing the number 350 team in Ken Palm go on a 15 to two run against a team that it is, you know, people are hoping is a sweet 16 caliber team. I was like, whew. I mean, this team is pretty darn close to IUPUI in levels of doesn't know how to play basketball. This Eastern Illinois team was. Yeah, but I think you know, and we—I mean, we've said this all summer. This there's going to be growing pains with this team, and that was one of them. I think we got kind of a maybe a little spoiled in the first two games because we didn't see it. I mean, they ran over Robert Morris and they ran over Charleston Southern, and they did both of those things early in the game. Uh, this one they didn't, you know, they, and some of that freshman like. They made a lot, a lot of the freshmen made a lot of freshman mistakes in this game. Now they made up for it a lot by hustle and effort, which I really loved. Like Roddy Gale had to turn over, but then he got a block on the other end. You know, things like that. Like that's good. That's what you want to see because that's stuff you can't teach. He's not going to turn that ball over again in that situation because he learned from it. But um, you know, Felix Akpar had a great rebound, but then he put the ball on the floor and it got stolen. You know, stuff like that. Like you learn from those mistakes. And then, like I said, I just don't think they'll. I mean, they're eight for twenty-eight from three. I just don't think they'll shoot that bad again. Um, and to Eastern Illinois' credit, they are as bad as they are because of offense. They are a decent defensive team. 
Now I'm not going to sit here and act like Ohio State, you know, like like this should have happened. Ohio State should have put up 95 on them. It's not a big deal, but they are they are as bad as they are because they're that that bad on offense. Their defense isn't horrible, so um, I, I do think that that was a little bit of it. And also, like I said, they just when Justice Ewing struggling and sends the balls on the bench, they got to learn. And Zed Key might be on the bench. Learn who do you go to? Who's your guy? Tanner Holden kind of struggled. Roddy Gale, um, I think he's still learning. Bruce Thornton and Isaac likely haven't really tried to take over an offensive role yet, so we'll see if they maybe a little more assertive in Maui. And then same with Sean McNeil. So I don't know. I just I don't know where. I think it's good this happened before San Diego State because if this happens against San Diego State, you lose by 20. I mean, that's pretty simple. Um, San Diego State is one of the best yeah. defensive teams in the country. So you're going to have to the, – the first 10 – I'm writing the preview for that game now. And I said that I think the first 10 minutes of that game are insanely crucial because if you go down to them by seven or nine early, it's going to be a very high hill to climb because they're that good on defense. Uh, but San Diego State, they can also really struggle to score the ball too. Their best player is averaging seven points a game right now. Matt Bradley, who's he's had a tough start to the season. So um, this this could be a very low-scoring game, and I think we'll really see. I think Ohio State's defense has looked really good over three games. I think they've played three bad teams, so we'll see how their defense looks against a good team. Yeah, I think the, the, the turnovers are going to be just absolutely crucial because they uh, they had 17 against Eastern Illinois. Two, two of those, like you kind of mentioned, two of those did come in the last, like, 90 seconds where it was like Owen Spencer, who's a walk-on, and um, – I forget who the other guy was. It's kind of irrelevant. It's in the final 90 seconds of the game where you're really just kind of killing the clock. They had two more. So they had like 15 legitimate turnovers, two extra to make it 17. San Diego State averages 12 steals a game. They average 12 steals a game, which is crazy. So something has to give there. A team that is really, really, really good at being physical and getting up on you and making you uncomfortable and coughing up the ball, playing a team that so far has turned the ball over a ton um against bad teams so it, it could be the equation for a really tough game for them obviously that's going to be the biggest focus point for their practices leading up to Maui is going to be taking care of the basketball because like you said you can't you cannot give up offensive possessions against a team where it's really tough to make up 10 points over the course of you know 20 minutes yeah and that's the caveat I'll give to what I said earlier of we might see Sensball enter the starting lineup for Thornton I don't think that'll happen Monday because I think you're going to want Thornton and Ice out there to start the game at least, who two very solid ball handlers who can, you know, expect what San Diego State's going to throw at them. Not saying Bryce isn't, but those are your two main ball handlers are Bryce or Bruce Thornton and, and Isaac Likely. So I think those two will be out there to start the game because San Diego State is so good at taking taking the ball away and taking advantage of, of turnovers and turning that in turning defense into offense, which is something that you know, against a freshman team or a young team, that's where you can start to get a little bit like, okay, you know, what exactly? And I don't think, I don't think the freshmen have played like freshmen. I think they've all played very well, um, but they've made some small freshman mistakes. And that's a team like San Diego State will apps like Eastern Illinois didn't really do anything with it. San Diego State will. You can you can bet that. And I will say, hopefully, agree with this, but you can disagree if you want. Um, a, a lazy misconception that I've seen a few times since the beginning of the season is when somebody calls Ohio State a young team and somebody counters and says, this is not a young team. They're starting a six-year player in Justice Suing. They're starting a fifth-year player in Sean McNeil, a fifth-year yeah. player in Isaac. Four of your top eight guys have never played college basketball before. And two, <laughs> and, and I don't mean to cut you off, but 
I said this to our Slack group chat, Larry Grant. I think just assuming we got a little, we kind of forgot that he hasn't played in 500 days before this season because of how good he looked against Robert Morris. He's going to have a couple road bumps too. So you have four freshmen out there that play solid minutes. You have a guy who hasn't played in a year and a half who was trying to get his feet back under him. You have three transfers trying to figure out exactly where they fit in the system. And that's literally your team outside of Zed Key and Gene Brown hasn't played. So it's like right. the only person on this team that really knows what the hell is going on right now is Zed Key. And he looks like it. He's looked absolutely incredible. Honestly, he's, yeah. he's made a couple one of small. Most, one of the most improved players in the country. Oh, my God. I like the fact that people aren't talking about what Zed Key is doing is. And the fact that there's still people that are like, we need a center. Shut the shut up. No, <laughs> Zed Key is that that is Zed Key. He is doing center things. Okay, it's fine. He's going to be fine. Like, I'm curious to see how he plays against, like, Zach Eady. But Zach Eady is averaging right now, like, 25 and 15. You know, like, that's that's the only really caveat I'll give. Uh, other than that, Zed Key is playing great basketball. So, like, it's, there, he's there was playing a play like during that Eastern Illinois game. I don't know if you, if you noticed it. There was a play in the second half where Zed Key was backing that guy down, and he, he wasn't really making progress. He was on the right block. It was looking like it was going to be a tough shot. Freshman Zed Key, what he does is he's going to – charge into that guy with his ass that guy's going to take the charge and it's going to be a turnover in this game i don't know if you notice it zed key does like a real quick pivot he, he he hit circle on him he pivoted swung around and then he yammed it and the guy was standing there like what just happened how did he get past me without basically touching me at all like younger zed key is just going to say i'm stronger than you i'm going to push you over and i'm going to score the basket this zed key is like I need to be smarter than that because if I'm shoving into you to get you out of the way, you're going to take the charge. I'm going to get a foul and I'm going to be on the bench and I can't be on the bench for this team. That yeah, is, I mean, uh, so much improved. He's just smarter. He's playing smarter. He's smarter. You can tell the the body transformation has made a huge difference. We're literally watching Caleb Weston 2.0, even to the fact of he's shooting threes. Now I do think Weston had a little more of a, of a, I don't know if it's a gift or, a little bit more of a natural jump shot, we'll say. Um, but Zed Key, hey, to his, to his defense, he's made threes to start the season. Um, I don't know if I want him shooting seven a game, but he's made some threes to, to start the season. So we're and that's exactly what Caleb Weston did. He came in, he was kind of just a bruiser, bodying people. Then he, as he got older, he slimmed down. He got a little more finesse with his game. It's exactly what Zed Key is doing. He's learning that just because you slim down doesn't mean you have to um, lose lose your muscle with that. Right. He's still as strong as ever. I mean, he was and again, he hasn't played any centers that are great, but he is overpowering them, which is good because now when you play the I mean, he's going to play. Well, I'm sure we're talking about Jadon Ladee. That's going to be his matchup probably and Nathan Mensa against San Diego State. Those are two very good big men. So that'll be his kind of first test of the season. I think I think he's going to handle it great. That's my prediction. And we won't we won't go through the whole Maui field because we're going to have a guest on here shortly. That's going to we're going to talk about more teams in Maui, but we'll just talk about San Diego State for a second. Um, I think this is this is going to be San Diego State. I think is going to be the toughest team they'll play. I, I it it reminds me a lot of the um, NCAA tournament game against Loyola Chicago. Honestly, you're playing an yeah. elite defensive team that is absolutely going to get up in your face and mix it up. They are gonna they're gonna reach. They're gonna play very, very physical. They're probably gonna get whistled for some fouls, but hell, you can't you can't whistle on all of them. So they are going to 
they're going to play tough. And with a, a young team like Ohio State, we have not really seen yet. Are they a tough? Are they a tough team? Are they a physical tough team? We really don't know yet. This San Diego State team only starts one guy who is younger, I believe, than a fifth year um, player, and that is they have a junior forward. I think his name's Kashad Johnson. Um, all the other guys are either fifth or, or sixth year players, basically um, playing against four freshmen not just for freshmen, but half of Ohio State's rotation is freshmen. So how tough they are physically and mentally is going to be, it, it's going to show. This is basically their first like litmus test to see how tough this team is. And that's what you want. I mean, that's what you want in these. It's the I call it the Tom Izzo because you look at Michigan State, they schedule just the most brutal November and December matchups uh, they possibly can, and they've, they're doing it this season. And Michigan State's learning a lot about their team. They've lost a tough one. They've won a tough one. Like they're learning about their team as they go. Then you've got other teams that they don't schedule these kinds of games. And then you get kind of later in the season, especially once conference play hits like the big 10 is the big 10 is shaping out to be better than I think we're giving it credit. A lot of these teams like, like a Penn state, like an Iowa, like a Purdue, they've looked really good early. It's looking like it might not be as top heavy, but I'm not positive. There's an easy game. You're going to play in the big 10 at this point. Uh, Even Maryland just beat Miami by 20. Like they scored ninety on them, so like there's a lot. The, the Big they Ten, beat, I, they, they beat St. Louis too. They beat St. Like Maryland's off to maybe the best start in the Big Ten. So and Penn State is four and one, and they almost beat Vodtech, and Vodtech's an absolutely a tournament team. So you know, like there's a lot, there's a lot of, from like four to eleven. You got a lot of really decent teams. So I you got to play these kinds of games. You have to learn what you are, and I think it's nice because looking ahead. Uh, presumably Arizona beat Cincinnati, right? Presumably. Uh, if you lose to San Diego State, it's not like you got to play Creighton next. You know what I mean? You probably you play Cincinnati, who I do think Ohio State is better than. Um, so it's it, it's not as brutal as I think we think it might be. Yes, they have to go San Diego State, Arizona if they win, but that means they beat San Diego State. So um, the the field is very good, but I think their draw was, was pretty favorable in general. And um, I, I think outside of the fact that, you know, They'd probably have to be 0-2 to play Louisville, but um, that's where I think when you look at the draw, I think it's it's fairly favorable in that regard. I, th- I just think that San Diego State um, is just – well, you could say they're the perfect opponent for Ohio State in a few different ways. You could say that they're the perfect opponent for Ohio State because they have the potential to expose all of Ohio State, the things that Ohio State struggled with so far – um, basically turnovers and at times defense and stopping a run. Like when the other team goes on like a seven Oh run, eight Oh run, stop the fire. Don't let it be, don't let it be more than like a four or five point swing and, and stop it. San Diego state is the kind of team that could put that full on display and Ohio state could walk away and lose this game by 25 on the opposite side. Like you mentioned, they're very, balanced in scoring i think they have eight or nine guys averaging six points per game but so far to this point they don't have really anybody that they can rely on to be like you are our 20 point per game scorer you're going to take over for us kind of like loyola chicago was and we saw how ohio state handled that in this in the spring with a different team mind you um i just i wouldn't be shocked if they really really got exposed and lost big time but i also could see a way that um, they could win a rock fight against San Diego State, like 58-54 or something ugly like that. 
Yeah, uh, to spoil it, I guess, I don't think anybody's really looking for it, but if you are, my prediction for the game is Ohio State 70-64. to 64. I think that's kind of, and just because I think there's going to be a lot of points kind of at the end, I do think this will be a rock fight. I do think it'll be like probably low 20s, mid 20s at the half. Uh, but I really I really believe in Ohio State's defense. I really think the defense is go- is very good. I think guys like, I think a, a combination of Jadon Lede- oh, Lede- of Zed Key and Felix Akpara can slow down Ladee, who's really the only guy outside of uh, Darion Trammell is averaging 15 a game as well. Um, it, you know, it kind of depends on what Matt Bradley shows up. If he if picks this Lede- game to... He comes off the bench too, so he's had a couple really big yeah. games. But he's, that 15 points per game, uh, like spoiler alert, that that's not going to keep up for him if he's not in the starting lineup. I don't think. Right. Yeah, because they have Nathan Mensa, who's kind of their starter there, who's kind of more of yeah. a defensive body. Uh, he's a guy that'll get you like you know, get you four or five blocks a game. But um, I do think I think Key and Akpar have done a good job of being that combination down low. I think the guards are going to struggle with the physicality, like. San Diego State's very physical, but so is Bruce Thornton's a tank. Ice likely is incredibly physical. Suing a Holden can hold their own. Uh, and, and McNeil, as, as we've said from the rooftops, is way more physical than Justin Arns. He's just a shooter like Arns. On defense, he's a completely different person. So, um, you know, that, that I think this is one of the more physical Ohio State teams we've seen. That's not normally their MO, but I think this is one of them. And I think they do. I do think the matchup is pretty – they match up pretty well. It's just going to be, you know, if they really call in another, like, what kind of offense shows up, if if they go on that kind of cold streak where they don't score for seven or eight minutes, it's going to be really, really tough because San Diego State, they're going to make every single possession uncomfortable for you. That's what they do. They take your strength, they pull you out of it, and make you work on your weaknesses. So for now, that's probably, they're going to probably make them shoot the ball because guys like Suing and Holden and, and Ice really rely on getting to the rim and whatnot, and, and obviously key is, going to stay down low for the most part. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of where this game is at, like at the under eight in the first half and just how comfortable or uncomfortable Ohio state's been through the first 12 minutes playing a team that really is pretty unique in that regard. And it'll be an opportunity for um, just like you're talking about Maryland beating St. Louis, Miami, um, huge resume building win. That is, it's going to be one of those wins that if if you can get it, it's going to continue to – it's going to age like fine wine as the season goes on because they were the pick to win the Mountain West. They look pretty clearly to be the best team in the Mountain West. So if they can win it, even if it's even if it's an ugly win, you get the win. Uh, San Diego State is going to be a team that by the end of the season is going to slowly climb up Ken Palms very slowly. Uh, they'll probably end up getting a three, four – five seed in the tournament and if you can slap that on your resume as a, as a win over a ranked team who is a four seed in the tournament um that's like that that's how you that's how you clinch a ticket if you end up being 10 and 10 in conference play like that that's what like maryland's hoping for yeah 100 percent. and that that's kind of like when people are like oh you know like struggling in the first half against eastern illinois it doesn't matter like when you do the whole bracket comparisons in February, they don't go, well, Ohio State did struggle in the first half. No, they beat them, so it doesn't matter. Now, if you lose that game, yes, that's a bad loss that gets put up on the resume. But this is the kind of game where, you know, it'd be great to win. I think you're really just trying to learn what you are, learn kind of what you need to work on, what you, what you need to do better, and what you're doing well. Um, obviously, like I said, it'd be great to win, but um, 
I, I think, and I've, it's, I don't know. This is going to sound like I'm like not putting enough faith in this team. And I'm, maybe I'm not, but if they can get to December 1st, which, you know, they play Duke November 30th, they can get to December 1st at five and two. I think that's a success. Honestly, I don't really know where, like if they go one and two in Maui and then beat Duke, or if they go two and one in Maui, lose to Duke, whatever the case may be. But if they can just get to, you know, obviously if they're six and one or seven, no, that's amazing. But if they can get to November 30th or December 1st at five and two, I think that's kind of a success. I don't know. Maybe oh, absolutely. Maybe that bar's I mean, low. I don't know. No, that's not. No, I think that's that's honestly that's very realistic, if not optimistic. I think just because it, it is a little optimistic because it means you won one in Maui, but then beat Duke. <laughs> if you if you get to five wins, it means you won at least. If you get to five, wait, one, two, three, right? You if you get to ranked team, no, no, it doubt. means you either you either won two games in Maui and lost to Duke, which still means you're getting at least one ranked win, yeah. or you went one and two in Maui, and then you beat number six or seven Duke on their home court. So well, I yeah, as I, as I talked through that, it's definitely, it's definitely a little more optimistic than pe- I thought it was pessimistic. Now, as I talked through it, it's definitely a little more optimistic than pessimistic. The, uh, the nightmare scenario is, Oh, and four. Um, the nightmare scenario is you go, Oh, and four there. Cause that means you um, lost to Louisville. <laughs> that means you lost to Louisville. who We'll talk about here very shortly, but um, I think the most likely scenario is they probably go one and two, but again, that's me kind of assuming that San Diego state's going to be a toughie. If they can win the San Diego State game, um, then you know whoever you end up playing, it's it's tough. I think that if they win, as long as they win one game in Maui, I I don't think you can look back and be like, oh, that was a disaster. As long as they win one game, which Louisville's there, so that's your buffer. Louisville is there. That's a good way of wording what Louisville is and what they're not. Um, yeah, I I just I don't really have too many more thoughts on Maui. We can probably get into. You know, we'll talk like like you said. We'll talk more with our guests about Maui. But um, at the end of the day, these are the tournaments you got to be in. These are the tournaments that that I mean. There's five of the eight teams are ranked. Another one, Cincinnati, who's three and one. They're coming off a tough loss, but they're three and one. Another one's Ohio State, obviously, and then Louisville's Louisville. Yeah, like you said, we'll we'll hit definitely more on San Diego State and some of these other teams here shortly. Um, just for a few minutes, we got some other like. Other stuff, other college basketball headlines, because we are a college basketball podcast, not just an Ohio State podcast. We, we cater to everybody. Um, reevaluating Michigan State. They lost to Gonzaga, yeah. but, it was, but it was very close, very close to Gonzaga. And then they beat Kentucky. It was close for most of it, but the final like five, four or five minutes, um, they just pulled away. Um I think Michigan State was picked to finish six in the media poll. I think I had them at six as well, but like that six, seven range was where pretty much everybody had them in. Was everybody wrong or is it too soon to tell? We were wrong. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we were wrong about their standings um, just because I do think there could still be like having them at six. I do still think there could be five better teams, Uh, but Michigan State looks fantastic. I don't, I, I don't, I don't really know why I even doubted Tom Izzo. You know, the one caveat I will give is their loss to Gonzaga, and they're almost lost to Villanova when Villanova came back. They clearly were still missing a front court guy, a center who they could have gone and got in the transfer portal, and they just refused to. Other than that, this team is gritty. They're physical. You know, they I mean, Joey Hauser 
at times looks like the best player in the country. At times he looks like he shouldn't <laughs> be on the floor. It's an incredible uh, combination, honestly. I mean, Mad- Maddie Sissoko has played pretty well. Maddie Sissoko has played well. He started against Villanova. He played well against Gonzaga, kind of in between, or good against Kentucky, kind of in between against Gonzaga. So um, he, I think he can get there. I just don't think he's there yet, but that's why it's November. Um, Michigan State looks great. Uh, is Arizona State the best team in the country? Michigan fans might have you believe in that. People, people, are, uh, people are asking for sure. People are asking if Arizona State's the best team in the country. Bobby uh, looked, out it there. was funny. It was funny too because I looked at that. I was like, "Oh, it'd be cool if like Gaffney and Luther Muhammad went off to beat them." It wasn't them that did it. Um, it was DJ Horn and Devin Cambridge. Although I think Luther did have like twelve or thirteen points, so good for him. I don't think Gaffney scored. But is Luther's um, Twitter as Luther's Twitter so go Bucks Lou. I would hope not, but it could be. Uh, <laughs> it literally is. It literally is. His is, it? is still, it's still go Buck Lou. Well, I mean, look, he's still a Buckeye. You know, he just Luther Muhammad. Luther. <laughs> shoving it up Michigan's ass during Michigan week as an Arizona State. Oh my God! Yeah, it's still yeah. go blue. That's so funny. There you go. They they were playing. He was playing with a purpose. He's still a Buckeye fan at heart. Um, definitely might have to reevaluate Michigan, but I just I think that Michigan has um, some younger players. Kind I think of like they're kind of in a similar boat as Ohio State. They're really that, there's just. I think they're going to get much better as the season yeah. goes on. I and agree. if you told me Michigan's going to make the Sweet 16 again with this team that just lost by 20 to Arizona State, I would say that makes sense because they're always in the Sweet 16 and they always play their best at the end of the season. So it is objectively funny though. To, it is objectively funny to watch Michigan. I wouldn't say they forced out Frankie Collins, but they brought in Jalen Llewellyn, probably assuming Frankie Collins would transfer, and Frankie Collins transferred to Arizona State. So that had to feel good yeah. for old Frankie. And he's like their leading scorer right now too. Yeah, he's playing quite well. So Arizona State's not a bad team. I'll, I'll give them that. They're not good enough to what they did to Michigan, but they're not a bad team. Speaking of Michigan, something we never touched on uh, that we don't need to go much in depth. George Washington III, I don't think we ever talked about GW3, decommitting from Ohio State, committed to Michigan um, about a week and a half ago. So he went to Michigan, which at first seemed peculiar because – it sounded a lot like Michigan was hot on Isaiah Collier, who's a top five player in the class. But Isaiah yeah. Collier goes to USC. That's what that's what you were mostly saying was, I don't know if that makes sense for George Washington to go to Michigan when Isaiah Collier is going to Michigan. Isaiah Collier He's is not, not going to Michigan. Michigan. So George Washington <laughs> – There's the caveat there. Yeah, George Washington pulled the reverse Andrew Dockage, and he went from Ohio State to Michigan. Yeah, I mean – I. I it it makes all the sense in the world now. Uh, at the time, it didn't make any sense because I think that was when Collier, I think a lot of people were leaning Michigan. Th- that that really towards the end of his recruitment, really be- like the smoke of that really wavered and uh, USC was the favorite at the end. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't blame him. Jawan Howard's a great coach. Michigan, you know, they, they got, they have great guards. Um, and one of their guards is a graduate senior. I believe Wellens only got one year of eligibility. So you probably have a chance to step right in with Kobe Bufkin and play some minutes. So, yeah, it, it makes all the sense in the world. It, I'm sure Ohio State fans are like, I can't wait to play them, but I, I don't really care. I mean, Michigan's objectively a great program in basketball. So, you know, it makes sense that you go there. I think people will probably give him a little bit of, like, shit on Twitter for it. But um, other than that, I don't think there's going to be any real um, any real ill will. He never actually played for Ohio State. It's yeah. just noteworthy that you would – commit to one side of the rivalry and then decommit and go to the other side of the rivalry. Um, it's just, it's just noteworthy for that reason, but yeah, it's he'll take shit if he struggles in his first game against Ohio state. But other than that. So we said we have a guest. We do have a guest. 
Our guest on this episode is someone you should know very well. He is a Seton Hall graduate and is currently a college basketball writer and reporter for Fox Sports, specifically covering the Big East Conference. And he also uh, contributes at the Field of 68. So we had John Fanta on for this episode. Uh, we talked about the Maui Invitational with John, which is tipping off this afternoon. Um, Ohio State plays at 9 o'clock. Um, so we appreciate John joining us, uh, and we hope that you also enjoyed with our talk with him. So without further ado, here's our conversation with John Fanta. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, we are joined by Fox Sports college basketball reporter and more importantly, Seton Hall graduate and Cleveland native John Fanta, who is here to talk about the best Feast Week tournament, the Maui Invitational. John, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It's great to be talking about Buckeye hoops. Really a new chapter for Ohio State, and they'll see their first major test in Maui this week. Loaded field, very excited for the Maui Invitational. There's nothing like daytime hoops from Hawaii, and I think for Ohio State, it's a chance for them to make a statement to the nation that although they're younger, although they're different looking, they will still be a factor in the Big Ten. We'll see if they could do just that. Yeah, 100%. There's nothing better than turning on some hoops like noon or something. It's awesome. Um, so just moving kind of very broadly here, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, haven't seen San Diego State yet. What can you tell us about them? What do you know about them? And, and what do you like about them? Because I know you're pretty high on them. They're an elite defensive team. They're going to guard you on the beach and on the hardwood this week. That's a team that Brian Dutcher has that really has great length. And they did a nice job in the transfer portal of, of adding as well with their core. But you bring back the majority of your starting lineup. You've got a star in Matt Bradley. He makes things happen. He can score the ball effectively. And then the way that they defend guys, one of the best Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency teams in the country. I think the length of Nathan Mensa inside makes things hard for opponents. And then I, I look at it, and it's actually a guy with some Ohio State roots. Started his career at Ohio State, goes to TCU, ends up now at San Diego State in Jaden Lede. Ohio State's got to be ready for Lede. He's a, a lengthy, versatile forward who makes things happen, has speed, has different ways he can score the ball, and he has really become an X factor for this Aztecs team. An Aztecs team that, that for me, is one of the 15 to 20 best teams in college basketball. So make no mistake about it, the Aztecs might not come from a power conference, but they have that caliber of talent. They have that caliber of experience. They're a really dangerous team. The key for them and the key for Ohio State in this matchup is you got to get a body on Matt Bradley. You got to make him work. And you got to make sure Lede doesn't beat you in the different ways he can score the ball. Ohio State, they're going to potentially go through some peaks and valleys from a scoring perspective in this game. 
So they're going to have to match San Diego State's defensive intensity, and they're going to have to rebound the basketball. This is where the toughness is that key, the toughness of Justice Suing. They've got to be able to make things happen in this game. You need your experience to shine because San Diego State is filled with it. And, John, just piggybacking off of one specific guy you mentioned there, um, with Matt Bradley, Ohio State fans, a lot of them, are they're not watching Mountain West basketball. They're not really paying attention. They're going to scroll over the stats. They're going to say, this Matt Bradley guy is averaging like eight points per game so far this season and not even kind of highlight him on the list. Why is Matt Bradley such a tough guy to guard, and why is he going to be the number one A-plus assignment that the Buckeyes are going to have to pay attention to? Yeah, you're exactly right. He has kind of been a non-factor thus far. But last year, folks, he averaged 17 a game. The year before, he averaged 18 a game. I think sometimes players, when their role changes, and the role this year is for him to not be the sole guy. He's got Lede, he's got Darian Trammell as well, a uh, uh, transfer from Seattle who can really score. Sometimes it's, it, it changes. You know, it, it, your role can really change when – you go from season to season and you made roster additions. But the reason why is Bradley's got a spurtability about him. I mean, he is a guy that shot 40% from three-point land last year. And those Maui rims are soft. They're soft, guys. The ball goes in the hoop in Maui. It just goes in more. So for me, you can't leave Bradley open because if you do – He's going to get in a rhythm, and if he's in a rhythm like Lede and Tramel have been and Nathan Mensah has been, then San Diego State just becomes a different monster to defend. So Ohio State has got to guard him. They need their freshmen to be able to do some things defensively, and they've got to pursue the basketball because San Diego State, they're a team. They make you work for everything you're going to get. So I'm really interested to see – how Bruce Thornton handles this. I trust Sean McNeil in this, but what happens with Bryce Sensabaugh in this matchup? What happens with Roddy Gale Jr. in this matchup? It's going to be a test for Ohio State's young guards to be able to perform. And, and John, these Buckeyes, they haven't played a team, I think, I think the best team they played so far was like Ken Palm 320. So you, we really have not seen them tested even a little bit thus far. What have you, but, but from those three games, what have you seen from them that you've said, oh, I really like those guys, I like how they do this, and what things have you seen from the Buckeyes that kind of stick out as things that they're definitely going to need to improve on moving forward? Well, I'll give you what Chris Holtman told me in the summer, and he said Bryce Sensabaugh, a guy that gives us offense that we don't have. And you look at Sensabaugh against Eastern Illinois, he puts up 20 points, and he does so in 16 minutes. He hits three quick threes in that game. He could fill it up for them, and he could fill it up in a quick amount of time. To me, Ohio State's a team that, guys, they got to find offense from sources. Well, they've got that in their freshman class. I like what I'm seeing from Zed Key. I think he's ready to, to lead. He's a guy that 14 rebounds against Eastern Illinois. He'll set the tone for the Buckeyes in the toughest category and the leadership category. But I think the key to Ohio State's season – is just suing being a factor and staying healthy, shooting the basketball better than he's been shooting it, only two for 10 against Eastern Illinois. Then the other key is just how much does this freshman class come along as the year goes on? From Bruce Thornton to Roddy Gale Jr. to Felix Okpara, and not, not so much with Okpara, but, but Bryce Sensabaugh as well. Look, they're a team that they've got different weapons. 
how does that freshman class really come together as the year goes on? Because when you bring in a freshman class, you know, you, you think about it and, and that could be hard. It could be hard in college basketball to make the, the transition. But if that freshman class is adding something on top of key, on top of suing, I think that another big key to this team is Isaac Likely because he's he's got to be a guy that steps up for them this season, a guy that they brought in to really set the tone for them in, in the, the categories of little things, the attention to detail. They've got options. They've got talent. But now you got to take that next step as a group. And I, I'm curious to see if the Buckeyes can do that. So, you know, we know you're a Big East guy, and I, I love this team. I love Creighton. Where are you at with Creighton? Do you love them as much as we do this season? I mean, I think Omaha – I was able to live in Omaha for a year. It's an amazing city. What uh, what do, what do you expect from the kind of the Blue Jays this season as they're in this tournament as well? I think they're a Final Four caliber team. they got the best sophomore class in the country, Arthur Kaluma. Ryan Nemhart, Trey Alexander, make things happen. Alexander and Nemhart are such a dynamic one-two punch of a backcourt duo. Then you got elite rim protection, guys. So defensively, in the past when Creighton's been good, they haven't been very good defensively. Offense has been their strength. Their best defense is their offense. That's no longer the case. This team plays complementary basketball. They play complete basketball. And on the defensive end of the floor, I'm really impressed with them. I think Ryan Kalkbrenner is an elite rim protector. And then you add in Baylor Shireman, the reigning Summit League player of the year. Like, that's insane. They were already a good team. They were already a top 10, top 15 team coming into this year without Shireman. Then you added as big of a transfer portal addition that you could have made in the offseason. They got a complete, well-rounded nature. They shoot the basketball efficiently. And with Kalkbrenner's rim protection, I think Ryan Kalkbrenner could be Big East player of the year. He just does it so well on both ends. They got a seven-footer with great spacing. For Creighton, their goal is to win a championship this week, and there's no reason why they can't because from a talent perspective, they're as talented as anybody you're going to see from one to five. That starting lineup is loaded with versatility, with scoring, and I think with toughness. I thought last year their toughness showed late in the season. They gave Kansas – all the Jayhawks could handle in the round of 32, and that was a springboard for them. All right, John, we're moving from one end of the Maui spectrum to the other now. I spoke to Chris Holtman just a little bit ago, and his quote was, uh, we won't play a single bad team during this tournament at Maui. So with that said, John, if they're not bad, how, how would you classify and describe the Louisville Cardinals? <laughs> they're not bad. They're the worst. They're horrible. <laughs> I mean, they're in a really rough place right now. Like, Kenny Payne does not have enough talent to win in the ACC. They don't have enough talent to beat Bellarmine and Wright State. What thing? What makes you think they have enough talent to beat any of the other seven teams in the field? Right now, Louisville's no better than Chaminade, who would normally be in the Maui. I mean, I'm sorry, but that team just doesn't have what it takes to win. If you face Louisville in the Maui, your Maui did not go well, unless you're Arkansas, who gets them in the opener. The fact right. is, they're not going to be good from a metric standpoint. And I'm surprised, guys, because Kenny Payne didn't go out and get any talent in the middle over the offseason. 
you know, there's a reason why they made a coaching change. When you make a coaching change, you got to go and get some players. They didn't do that enough, and now they're paying the price. That team is in a really bad way right now. And Ohio State better not see Louisville in this tournament because the game would not have any meaning. It would be a worthless resume game. It doesn't add anything. The only way that it affects you is if you lose. It would cause so much more harm than it would cause reward. That, that's a great point because when, when Holman said we're not going to play a single, a single bad team, most people pivoted and, and immediately the response on Twitter was, is he saying Louisville is, is, is not a bad team? But he also could have been implying that we're not going to see a bad team because we're not going to see Louisville. But, so, I mean, that's valid. Right, right. And, you know, I, I do think when you look at Ohio State, the opening matchup with San Diego State, like there's a situation where – if you win, you're golden. You're in a golden place. If you are to lose, you're probably going to face Cincinnati, who's not a great team, but a solid enough team. And then you're going to get some combo of, because I think Ohio State's better than Cincinnati. I just do. I think Ohio State's more talented than Cincinnati. I, I like them in that matchup. And you get some combo of Texas Tech, Creighton, or Arkansas probably in that third game. So we'll see. We'll see. I think that the Buckeyes, I think that, that, if you're asking me for where they stand here in this tournament, you know, I think San Diego state's a favor, a favorite in that game. I think Ohio state could beat them. They, they certainly could beat them, but if they don't, you got to win that second game, which, which I like their chances against Cincinnati. And I think it lines up okay for them at the end of the day, if you're the Buckeyes, of course you want to go three and oh, but I think for them, if they can go two and one, and if that two and one ends with a win, or ends with them being in the championship game and falling just short, you got to like what you've seen from the Buckeyes if they come out of that two and one and they haven't faced Louisville and picked up two quality wins. Yeah. And you kind of just touched on them. Um, but, you know, Arizona did lose Christian Coloco and Ben Mather into the draft, but they still have Tubelis, they still have Kirk Rissa. You know, they're still a yes. top 15 team. Where are you kind of at with Arizona? Do you think they can win the Pac 12 over UCLA or? Kind of where are you with them as they stand right now? I do think they could win the Pac-12. I think for me it's Court, it's Courtney Ramey and it's Kirk Kreese being able to coexist. Mm -hmm. That is the key question with Arizona. I think Arizona, I like them. I don't love them. And the reason why I don't love them is because offensively, I wonder about – you lose players as good as Ben Matherin and Dalen Terry – like, those guys made so much happen for Arizona. So this week, can Crease and Ramey against really good teams be able to run the game, run it together? I think that Christian Coloco, you know, you, you talk about Arizona, like they lost some really good players. They're going to need now Kerr Creesa. They're going to need a guy like Azulis Tabellis to step up because you lose Coloco, you lose – Matherin, you lose Terry. Those are big, big losses. They need Tubelis. They need Azulis Tubelis to have a great week this week. And they got to see Kresa and Ramey coexist and mesh. It, it, John, one of the, the great things about the Maui Invitational is, is the uniqueness of it. You're playing on the island. You're playing in such a – the Lahaina Civic Center is just – it's so small – and kind of like a conference tournament, you're playing back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back days. So the amount of prep you, you get for specific opponents is very minimal. You're more focusing on how your team wants to play. In your opinion, 
what kinds of teams are built well to win a tournament where you have to win games back to back to back days? That could be just in general or like specifically with these teams. Teams that score, you got to be able to score the ball. It, because at a certain point, guys, your legs start to give in, right? And defensively, you can get worn down. It's so hard to get locked in on a, in a defensive stance and be able to, to get stops consistently. The teams who win these MTEs are the ones who have different scoring options. And that's why I pinpointed a guy like Brent Bryce Sensiball, because I think for Ohio State, they're gonna, they can't have a, a, a zero from their freshmen. They need some of these guys to step up. Zed Key's going to generate attention. You know, they, they got to get good shots for Sean McNeil. They need justice suing. The real justice suing has to stand up this week in Maui. For Ohio State to be great, they need suing to follow suit. And, and they need likely to be a guy that makes things happen from a ball handling perspective and defense. But for me, the teams that win these events – are the teams that achieve balance on the offensive end of the floor because at some point you're going to start trading buckets with teams because you get to game three, you've seen each other, you know each other, you know what's going on. You can only do so much from getting stopped. you got to have different sources of scoring when your legs are given out so it's not all on one guy to do it. You need a star to emerge. You need somebody to carry you. I always think like the best example of all time is Kemba Walker 2011. Like in these tournaments, remember a couple of years ago when Dayton met Kansas for the Maui title? That was because mm -hmm. Obi Toppin put Dayton on his back. Who's going to put their team on his back this week? So that kind of leads into our last question perfectly. Uh, just in general, obviously, we know you'll be tuning in, watching all, all these games. What team in the field are you personally most excited just to watch, whether it's because they have question marks or just because they're fun to watch? Arkansas. Yeah, that's Arkansas. <laughs> it plays so hard. I'm really curious to see that freshman class. Jordan Walsh, to me, is, is the most underrated freshman in America. His fingerprints are all, all over the game. You know, they brought in Trayvon Brazil, who I really like. I think that team loaded up in the transfer portal, made quality additions. And I'm really curious to see how their freshman class, how Nick Smith, who's arguably the best NBA draft prospect on the board heading into next summer, how they perform and Guys, like it had been over two decades since Arkansas basketball made an Elite Eight. Eric Musselman's taken them to back-to-back -back Elite Eights. They play so hard. They get up on you defensively, and I think they could walk away with a Maui title. I'm really excited to watch them play this week. I think they will beat Louisville, and I think that semifinal potentially between Arkansas and Creighton could be a dandy of a matchup. That's a great answer. And we are, me and Justin, we are both on the must bus as well. We think he's just an absolute joy to watch and his, his players love him clearly. And he just, the purity of how much he loves the game of basketball is just, it's just so obvious. And his teams are awesome to watch. They're a lot of fun. Um, we appreciate you, John. We appreciate you joining us. We know you've got a lot going on. Um, but before you go, if people want to follow you on Twitter, if they want to read your stuff that you're working on right now, where can they follow you and, and where can they find your stuff that you're writing and working on right now? At John underscore Fanta, J-O-H-N underscore Fanta, F-A-N-T-A. You can read me there. Check it out. Go to foxsports.com as well. I'll have a new top 15 poll up on Monday with takeaways from a busy week at college basketball. And I can tell you guys the highlight of the week, the Big Ten, Michigan State beating Kentucky in 
Villanova, Illinois with a big week. Indiana winning at Xavier, among other storylines. The Big Ten notching big wins this week. Rebuilding year? I think not. Awesome. Well, like I said, we really appreciate it. I know you're a Browns fan. I am too. Um, so I would say go Browns, but at this ah. point, I'm not even sure I can say it. So uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> – but uh, like the I said only- – Hey, the only football on our screens will be the U.S. men's national team on Monday. Amen. It's a beauty. It's a beautiful thing to know basketball's in our lives because that football team can go down the toilet. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right, John, appreciate you taking the time and uh, have a great one. Thanks, guys. All right. Again, we appreciate John joining us today to talk about uh, the Maui Invitational and feast week um he does great work over at fox one of the really good young college basketball writers and reporters so if you don't follow him um definitely keep an eye out for him as the season goes on justin before we close we have a very good a very big football game this weekend that my mental health very much hangs in the balance for the next 12 months because of this um what is your score prediction for the ohio state versus michigan football game on saturday Oh, score prediction? Um, I recording this before I know if Blake Corum is playing. I'll do, to, bo- not, I'll do both. You're not going to know if Blake Corum is playing until Saturday morning. Well, it has to be Saturday morning. Uh, no, I'll, so I'll do both. Um, if Blake Corum plays, I think Ohio State wins 31. They're 89 and 0 when they score 30 plus points in 2014. Mm-hmm. So that's that today. So I'll say they win 30, 31 27. I think it would be a really good game if Blake Corum plays. If Blake Corum doesn't play, I think they win. I wouldn't change the 31 uh, to 17. I'm assuming that Blake Corum is going to play. I am too. Um, I'm also assuming that both Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are going to play and that Jackson Smith and Jigba is not going to play. All fair um, assumptions, yes. That's not an insight. Um, I'm just guessing because they've been banged up. However, Dallin Hayden should start because he's the only one that is actually at 100%. Uh, I'll go 35-34 with Michigan scoring in the closing seconds and going for two for the win up into the south end zone with the students and not getting it. You think they'd go, wow, that's a, such a specific prediction. They did it, uh, what year was it, 10 years ago, I believe? In yeah, Ann Arbor, they, I think. They, they, they weren't the, the number three team in the country. So I'll, I said 35-34 at the beginning of the season, and I'll stick with it. And, I'll yeah, I'll even give you that specific. Going for two. Going for two for the win, and they don't get it. I even like the you, you predicted what side of the end zone they'd be on. Cool. Up, up against the students. Yeah. Um, that would be a tough one for the old mental health if they do get it, but we'll see. Yeah, I might just uh, – if if Twitter if Twitter hasn't collapsed by then and burned, I might yeah. just delete Twitter at that point myself. But that will do it for us uh, today. If you found us on the website, make sure to also subscribe – um, on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music and podcasts, you can find us under the Land Grant Holy Land feed. And you can find Bucketheads at Bucketheads LGHL. Um, just we got some content there, so go follow us. Make us the most followed podcast platform on Ohio State's uh, family of podcasts because that'd be funny because it's definitely a football school. And it'd be funny if only the one basketball podcast uh, has the most followers. You can follow me at Justin underscore Golba. And Connor, where are you? Uh, you can follow me at Lamons, which is L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor on Twitter. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Peace.